Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Ride with Royce. Come on, join me in this fight against crap. <laughs> join me in the fight against crap. <laughs> That's right. On 1500 ESPN. Chris Paul last night. Now, first of all, Chris Paul got ripped by Damian Lillard, right, for sh- shooting a, a layup at the end of the game when they had the game run. Uh, one, but Chris Paul got teed up by Scott Foster last night. And uh, the referee, he's got, he's spending 24 years in the NBA. You know Foster, right, Manny? Yes. This Scott Foster. Mm-hmm. Rockets guard Chris Paul added his voice to the chorus of NBA players who expressed frustration regarding the friction with referees signaling out veteran official Scott Foster. Foster called Paul for a technical with 4.52 remaining in Houston's 121-112 win over uh, Portland on uh, Wednesday night. Yeah, this was afterwards in the locker room. Yeah, Scott Foster at his finest, Paul said. You know what I mean? He just never fails. Some of them you can you can talk with. You've just got to figure out who you can and you can't. I got a tech tonight. I'm over there with another referee saying, that's Scott, man, that's Scott, and I got a tech. That's history there, man. He is the man. That's who they pay to see, <laughs> Scott Foster. And then he, uh, he went on and on. This comes on right after the heels of Draymond, Draymond Green getting fined 25000 for uh, publicly criticizing the officials. Yeah. Paul, Paul is the president of the NBA Players Association, by the way. Yes, he is. And uh, did you know that Scott Foster was voted as the league's worst referee in 2016 in a survey of players and coaches conducted by the L.A. Times. What do you win for that? Do you get a trophy? I I think that's only because Joey Crawford retired. Yeah, yeah, right. But but Joey Joey made no bones about how he was going to rob somebody. Yeah. Uh, uh, Man, you've just got to hope there's a system in place. Just making sure they get checked is just as much as we do. Even some of the double texts that they call, it's really quickly and stuff like that. That's 2,500 every time a text call on a player. We're going to figure out. There's got to be a way that we have dialogue and stuff. I don't know, man. Good old Scott Foster, though. That guy. (laughs) I love. Why? When did it occur? And it's now happening in baseball, too. I've never figured out why. You know, if you don't do it in a profane fashion, you can't publicly criticize officials. Can explain that to me? I, why, I, why can't a player, a grown man? He's a, we're talking about a grown man here. 
Why can't you criticize officials? I don't get it. I, I don't know. Well, well, you remember, it was a couple of years ago, Chris Paul got in trouble for, he got fined, I think, too, for criticizing, um, what's her name, um, Lauren Holtkamp. Oh. One of the one of the yes. few female uh, referees in the one of the few women referees in the NBA, he said something like uh, this: "This might not be for her or something," because she had teed him up in the game. Or yeah, something right. Like that. And, and they, they, he got he got he fined got, for that too. He so. got ripped because he'd said her, but what was he supposed to say? Yeah, I mean, if he's ripping her, he didn't really rip her because she was a woman, right? He just said she's she's probably might not might not be a person who's capable of doing this, so. right? But of course, the the that narrative is always going to be put out there, and you know, so. I guess you can say it on on uh, coaches, you know, that they they're not supposed to, uh, you know, light up officials and uh, in the leagues. Maybe the league should have enough control over them. I just can't figure figure out why players haven't how the league gets the right to criticize players for uh i mean gets gets the right to find players for criticizing officials I've well and especially when that. the various leagues there is no system of accountability when when an official or an umpire or whoever when they screw up there's nothing that holds them accountable i mean we might hear occasionally that well this particular person isn't going to work that particular game but outside of that yeah. There's no accountability with these people. And the NBA That's what has, drives me nuts. And the, and the NBA has that last two minutes thing that the they, grading system, the grading or whatever. thing that yeah. they like to that they like to put out there. But it just you know it's whatever. Here's my problem. I grew up in the glory days of watching baseball when you expected the up the 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 uh, manager to run out of the dugout and get in the umpire's face. Right? Yeah. You do that now, you get fined. You might get suspended. You can't even kick dirt on them anymore. What the hell? Yeah, That's part of the. Oh, bullshit. 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 <laughs> and your crew is here just to. <laughs> See? We won't. We don't have that anymore. We don't have that. And what? What? You know what? Did Earl harm <laughs> the integrity of umpiring by doing that? Hell no. In fact, you're here for one in, reason in fact, to bleep in us. In fact, the, sometimes the umpire got in the last word, like Bill Haller did. He said when he made the joke about him going to the Hall of Fame, and Earl had to do the the 360 and turn around and come back at him. I just don't let you know. So what if Chris Paul wants to say Scott Foster's a lousy official? Why should he get fined? Yeah, he's, get Earl it. says, you know, you'll see me in the Hall of Fame. How are you going to get in the Hall of Fame for bleeping up a World Series? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's classic. That's right. That's absolutely well, then, right. Well, of course, I always go back to, you know, going back to the NBA side of it. I always go back to, remember when Joey Crawford teed up Tim Duncan? For, for Tim Duncan was sitting on the bench and smiling and I'm giggling smiling. with his teammates. Yes. And Joey Crawford just teed him up for, well, then, just, just it, because. Uh, didn't they get somebody again the other day for that? They teed up uh, a coach. For uh, smirking on the bench, right? Wasn't it? Uh, didn't the uh, NBA just I'm tee a guy up a couple, sure. three days ago? I thought I saw that, that he was uh, smirking at the guy. I, I, you know, I know it's impossible to officiate, and, you know, you have the power of the technicals and all that, but I still think the coaches, I mean, the players at least, should be able to rip officials after games. I, I don't know. And if they don't do it in a profane manner, you know? My favorite will always be when Rasheed Wallace, I don't know if you guys remember this, when Rasheed Wallace was in Portland and they were playing the Lakers, I think it was the Western Conference Finals, 
and Ron Garrett Garrettson threw Rasheed Wallace out for staring at him. <laughs> Rasheed Wallace was like staring him down. Yeah, and she... Ron and the, and the best part about it was Ron Garrettson was mic'd up. So oh. you could so you could, you know, he it was a timeout and he, you know, he goes timeout LA and then they show Rasheed Wallace just staring at him. And then he just goes, "Whack!" Get out! <laughs> and then Steve Smith comes over. What did he say? What did he say? He was staring at me, Steve. <laughs> Leave me alone. He was staring at me. I warned him to stop it, and he didn't stop doing it, and now he's gone. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's, that's uh, when officials have gotten completely out of control. I, I told you guys a story that my friend Wicker tells, though. He's covering the 76ers way back when, and they're playing out in Portland, and it's December 23rd, and if they don't make their red eye, they uh they're not going to get back home to the east coast for christmas mm-hmm. you know because all the books flights are booked and, yep. and they said to earl strom early in the fourth quarter during a break they said earl we got to make that flight we come on don't no overtime tonight earl he says don't worry about it boys i'm on that same flight so, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh not a problem. that's the attitude you have to have Absolutely. all right we'll be back kevin seifert talks and vikings Talking purple right now on the ride with Royce. Kevin Seifert from ESPN. It's Kevin Seifert. Here with Kevin Seifert. We have ESPN's Kevin Seifert. It's ESPN.com's NFL Nation reporter Kevin Seifert, presented by Mystic Lake. Kevin, uh, our neighbors to the east, who have been the picture of stability here for years and almost were role models for Rick Spielman, uh, acquire lots of draft choices. Uh, you know, get a lot of. Uh, you know, options in the draft, uh, do those things. Uh, they are going through a chaotic period suddenly here, the Packers. It, it is very interesting. And, and uh, you mentioned Rick Spielman. What's, what's uh, ironic and cyclical about the world is that there was a point at which the Vikings had the uh, what we call that triangle of authority where yes. Uh, yes. the coach and the general manager and the salary cap uh, all kind of had a um, – uh, shared cooperation, and the Packers were motoring along with a single general manager with all power and Ted Thompson. And so, hey, we better try that. And uh, the Vikings tried that, and uh, and then that has been probably, I would say, a big reason of why they're have had two division champions in the past uh, three is it three years. And now, meanwhile, the Packers have have uh, destroyed that uh, all-powerful general manager structure. Now they have the triangle of authority, and so it is all uh, in a cycle when everybody's chasing <laughs> each other's tails, I guess. Hey, uh, Mr. Murphy, is he? Uh, do you know him uh, well enough? Yeah. Do you know people well enough? Is he a bit of an egomaniac, or does he want no, more I, influence, or is I, it just that they thought they gave Ted too much power? Is this what this is about? Yeah, I mean, Ted, like... You know, it, part of it's just NFL teams, whether it's hiring a coach or, you know, front office structure, whatever this very often they go in the opposite direction of what they were doing. And so yes. um, Ted had the stature of where he could have, you know, full power, and he's not the most communicative guy just on a personal level. So he probably didn't, like, you know, knock on the office door of all the people in the office and, you know, and ask them about their families and their kids and, you know, and, and, brief them on all the things he was up to and, and all that. That's not his style. It doesn't mean you can't win that way, and they won a Super Bowl doing it. So, But now that he has decided to, to sit down, I think they they now look at, you know, maybe there's a way where they could have more input from all the different parts of the of the building as opposed to just uh, Ted's, Ted's mind. And, you know, the, the, as much as we joked about the triangle of authority, uh, 
it's not necessarily a bad structure, but it does require, you know, a centralized figure. Um, you know, the Wilfs were probably not in position to do that, uh, being in New Jersey. Uh, but Mark Murphy's in Green Bay every day, and, and it could work. You know, he, he, um, is a former player, um, and, and a longtime administrator. So there's, there's a, there's a background there that, that you wouldn't normally have with somebody who came up through the business, uh, ranks. So I, I, I mean, I don't think that he wanted to necessarily take charge of the organization, but I think he thought that there was a better way to, to go about things. And it's going to put more pressure on him on a day-to-day basis to pull all those tentacles together, but uh, he's in position to do that. And the trouble is when you have several bright young men uh, on the rise in the organization and you choose one, you're going to lose some others, and that's what happened to them. Elliot Wolf left and Alonzo Highsmith left both to go to yeah. Cleveland. Yeah, and ba- basically, Wolf left for what would be a lateral job, right, uh, with the Browns. Yeah, he's the assistant general manager with the Browns. Um, he had not had any kind of assistant general manager title in Green Bay. Maybe that's what they were willing to do. But I think it's pretty, you know, it's pretty clear that he wasn't going to get any further than that in Green Bay. Um, and it would probably help him to to shake up the, his resume a little bit. Uh, you know, he's not going to become the Browns general manager anytime soon because they just hired John Dorsey. But maybe that uh, you know he was concerned and, and probably rightfully so that the success that he was a part of in Green Bay was had clearly now been attributed to other people. And so, uh, but then if he could if he could be part of a of a rebuild in Cleveland, I think he could probably write his ticket to go wherever he wants. Because of defense. Uh, and a a balanced and uh, effective offense, but but mostly because of defense. Do you see this Vikings team as less vulnerable than the '98 bunch? Yeah, um, you know, there's there's definitely they definitely have an answer uh, for everything that the Saints or anybody might do. If you want to try to run the ball, um, you know, good luck with Linval Joseph and and Tom Johnson and the rest of them. And if you want to try to run your receivers deep, you know, you got to beat two pretty good cornerbacks and, and an all-pro safety. Um, and so they, they have uh, a personnel and scheme, uh, you know, an answer for anything a team might try. You know, the one, in terms of the vulnerability, uh, the one thing to keep in mind is really the Vikings history. And everybody acknowledges it's not relevant that in 2009, Brett Favre threw an interception or in 2015, Blair Walsh, missed a field goal or 1998 uh, Gary Anderson missed a field goal but that if nothing else those plays are reminders that it's that a very random event can make can decide not only a playoff game but legacies and history and and long-term direction of franchises so really the, the vulnerability is the unexpected but in terms of the things that they can control and plan for I think that they're very well set and, Kevin, you've been saying for weeks now that you've felt that the number one element uh, any team was taking in the playoffs was the Vikings and defense. This was the strongest element yeah. that uh, somebody was taking into the playoffs. So, uh, And there's certainly nothing that happened the last three weeks of the season to change that. No, and, and even Vegas agrees. I mean, you know, if you look at the at – the... Uh, you know, the odds and, and whatnot, the, really the only team that's getting better odds, I think, right now are the Patriots. Um, so in terms of the Vikings getting to the Super Bowl, I think everyone considers them a favorite, uh, you know, in part because of the Eagles, uh, Carson Wentz injury, but in part because 
really, when going back to that loss to Detroit, uh, where, when Dalvin Cook got hurt and they had to adjust, uh, the only team that's really done anything to him is the Panthers, and that was on the road um, and and very competitive till the end. So uh, it's not as if they have escaped a bunch of near losses with freak wins or anything along those lines. It's all been according to formula. Uh, it, as wonderful as Breeze was last weekend, that was fantastic. He's uh, he's so damn good. But uh, if if Xavier Rhodes can take Mike Thomas away from him, like he's taken the big receivers away from other uh, teams, uh, that I I I think uh, watching Breeze, he's be comfort been gotten very comfortable with the idea that this kid's going to catch seven or eight passes for him. And uh, yeah. If, and- and, and if so, he and can't, so, right, right. And so the thing, the thing will be, um, if if in fact Xavier Rose can take Michael Thomas away and Trey Wayne can keep Ted Ginn from getting to you know any big plays or whatnot or however the assignments wind up, um, then they have the ability where they didn't always have to 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 you know nickel and dime you. You know they have the, uh, a much better running game than they typically had, and they have. Really, those both running backs, especially Kamara, who are just excellent playmakers in the passing game out of the backfield. So they'll need to be great tacklers, which they have been all year. If you look, you can. There's really not a great way to measure quantitatively tackling, but if you look at um, their against the run game, the Vikings have are allowing by far the least amount of yards after first contact. So. They have a lot of good tacklers and a lot of guys running to the ball, and so if they have that, then that's what, in you know, in theory, takes away those the Saints' ability to nickel and dime them up and down the field or make big plays off of off of short passes as well. That throw that uh, I mentioned this yesterday, but that throw that Breeze made to the tight end when the guy had him covered like a blanket and just uh, you know threw it at the one right in the middle of the field there when he threw it, yeah. Like, four inches out of the guy's reach and the linebacker yeah. and the end just picked it up. I mean, he makes throws that are, he'll throw a few interceptions, but it seems like he's, uh, he's less giddy with those than he used to be because, uh, uh, you know, they're the defense. He's, he's kind of trying to help out the defense by not turning it over, but man, yeah. it was, he, that's he, as good a, as I, as, as I've seen him uh, last weekend. Yeah. He and, and Brady are both in the same position where they're in this, is an extremely rare spot where they've, they've whatever they've done to their bodies bionically or, or otherwise to still be physically able to do this there, there's nothing from a mental standpoint that they don't know you know that they have can't figure out that they're going to be confused by there's no defense against their schemes that that you can play where he's not going to know where the open man's going to be it's just a matter of whether you can get to him or you just don't you know, there's nobody open. I mean, there's never going to be a spot, very rare spots where either one of those guys make the self-inflicted mistakes or or read a defense the wrong way or or or, or miss an open receiver. I mean, they they have played long enough and picked up enough that as long as their bodies can hold up, they're in this great spot where where you can't really confuse them, you can't really out scheme them. You just have to hope to either get to him uh, from a physical standpoint or just give him no spots to go to. Kevin, I was convinced uh, three, four years ago that by now we'd have 14 teams in the playoffs instead yeah. of 12, and there was a lot of talk about that. I, I suppose they won't do that now until they can use it as a chip in the TV contract. So, uh, but I'm a little surprised they didn't go that way because it seemed like there was a lot of momentum that way, and they never did it. 
No, they didn't. There was uh, there was different discussions about it, and it was also tied into a longer season and how were they going to work all that. And they never were able to get on the same page with the NFLPA and the and the, um, and the, uh, uh, the, the all the different you know tentacles that would have to be addressed in order to make that work. And I think they also there was also at least some people in the league who said, "Hey, now let's you know one of the things that's good about the league is is that the playoffs." For the most part, except for your random Bills Jaguars <laughs> game or uh, wild card game, that the playoffs are pretty good, and only the really good teams get in. And uh, let's let's preserve the integrity. And you know, if we need to make more money, maybe people will pay more for tickets or more for advertising or, or whatever. Um, but we don't necessarily. It may not be the best uh, route to just add games. And uh, as gluttonous as they've been on so many other issues, yes. um, I guess we could we could have assumed that they would go in that direction. But at this point, they have not. No, and uh, it's uh, that uh, you do mention that Bills. Our guy Reavers uh, flew down there to see that. He was so enamored by the possibility of a Bills Jaguars shootout that he went down there. You That's the worst a human being to do that. <laughs> That's that may be the worst game I've ever watched. It was yeah. incredible playoff, and like you know, and you know, the two quarterbacks obviously being in their first uh, playoff games didn't help, and uh, two teams led by defense uh, don't lead to high scoring games. It was, I mean, it was it was fun for the Jacksonville fans, I'm sure, and for all the people who were in the stadium. But um, and even if it had been a great game, just like the the feeling you get when you look at the TV guide and you see Bills Jaguars, I think a lot of people <laughs> might just like mentally have tuned it out boys i was communicating with our guy tom pelicero during that game because he was there chronicling the event for the nfl network and all i said to him was at least i get to drink (laughs) yeah i guarantee you he was not no he was not uh well i was talking to this young uh this young man who works for the twins now daniel adler he's a research guy yeah, and uh, he, they he just they hired him away from the Jag. Yeah, he was at yeah. the NFL office, and then he was with the Jaguars. He was there when uh, Bortles was drafted. I said, "Aren't you ashamed of yourself after uh, after what well, happened?" Uh, Sunday, yeah, that that so was said. not an analytic, analytically sound uh, decision. I don't think. <laughs> no, all right, all right, Kevin. Talk to you next week, sir. Okay, Thanks. guys. Goodbye, uh, Kevin Seifert, uh, ESPN.com, NFL Nation blog. Andrew Kramer covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune, along with the wise old Al, Mark Craig, and the uh, young runner, Ben Gessling. So uh, has Gessling got you into running, or were you a running runner before? Uh, say that again? Sorry, I missed that. Uh, running. Are you, uh, are you a runner? Do you go outside in the morning and to run like Gessling does? Did he get you into that or not? Oh, that's why I missed that, because it was such an absurd question for me. Of course not. Of course not. No. <laughs> that's no. good. I'm proud of you. I'm proud that you haven't come on under that uh, terrible influence. It would be it would be horrible. So uh, everything uh, rosy and cheery out there? Zimmer's probably got to be getting Ollie, because everybody's declaring the Vikings to be NFC favorites. He is, but you know Mike Zimmer. He's still finding ways to uh, make it the world against the Minnesota Vikings. Even <laughs> oh, really? Even though they're thirteen and three, yeah, he had some line. Um, I wasn't at the press conference, but just reading the transcripts about um, how he was saying that. Well, nobody expected us to be thirteen and three, and talking about how you know everyone's saying the Saints have changed from week one. So he's still finding ways to spin 
uh, you know, coverage and say that uh, the Saints are somehow going to be favored in this one. But the Vikings are <laughs> the home team. The NFL's number one defense is obviously going to be the Vikings' favorite. And, and he's right. Nobody thought they were going to be 13-3, and three, probably even including the Vikings. But uh, they are what they are. They've won 11 out of 12. And, uh, and without Carson Wentz around, they are the favorites to go to the Super Bowl by all accounts. Yeah, they absolutely are. I just don't see Philadelphia is so well balanced, but without Carson Wentz, that offense has looked anemic. Um, I saw some stat where actually the last quarterback to win a playoff game after starting three or fewer games for their team was actually Randall Cunningham some, sometime back in 98 or whatever it was, 97. I can't remember what year it was. 97. Yeah, 97. Point being in that uh, the the last 10 quarterbacks to try what Nick Foles is doing for Philadelphia just to win one playoff game after starting such few games for their team, they are 0-10 since then. So I just, and knowing Nick Foles, knowing that team, you're right. I think it, it feels like, too, this Sunday, Sunday's game, Pat, feels like between the Vikings and Saints that these are the two best teams left in the NFC field. Uh, look up that game, by the way. The 97 was for Denny's first playoff victory, and basically... They spent the last quarter conceding they were going to get beat. And then uh, Cunningham threw a long touchdown pass. They recovered an onside kick, won the game, and Denny said that was the plan all along. It was fantastic. <laughs> that was also the day, uh, gentlemen, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that also the day that he revealed the cabal to uh, I Andrew, so. Andrea Kramer before yes. the game? Yes, that was. Because he thought he was going to get fired. And uh, before the game, he had the Andrew, Andrea Kramer interview about the uh, the cabal of three sports writers who were trying to out to get him. And I said it was Power Sansevier and Barrero was uh, the way I saw that thing. So um, anyway, that was uh, that was an eventful victory and almost miraculous. And of course, then the next year they had the great year. Hey, Kyle Rudolph, he's become like the official team spokesman. Is this new or has he been that way? No, Kyle's always been kind of more of a vocal guy, unafraid to say some things. You it's know, just so that he hasn't been hurt this year, which is why we're seeing more of him, I guess, huh? Exactly. Playing 16 games, yeah, that'll help. But no, Kyle was... He was handpicked to be a team captain by Mike Zimmer for a reason. He's a guy who guys look up to in this locker room, and uh, especially at that position. Um, we saw what, what uh, the offense was like without him. David Morgan's been great, but those last few games, uh, they just hadn't been that great at the tight end position down the field. And so getting him back 100% this week off that injured right ankle is going to be big for them, especially against, I know how good this Vikings defense is, but especially against Drew Brees in that offense. Keenum is uh, loves him though, doesn't he? Keenum has probably uh, found Rudolph more than anybody. He's uh, terrific. Well, this side of Adam Thielen, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, but yeah, yeah be outside of Thielen. But I mean, for uh, you know those big plays that uh, when he wants to get a touchdown and stuff like that. I mean, he's really uh, he's really had a good chemistry with uh, Rudolph. I think. He has. Kyle's actually been one of the more underrated NFL red zone threats. Uh, I believe I read something where he had caught like 90% of the catches in the red zone. I think almost six or seven of his eight touchdowns came within that 20-yard distance inside. And that's key because when the Vikings were actually heading into the bye week, one of the big issues they had was converting in the red zone. They were like uh, 20th or 25th in the league, and here they end the season third in the league in touchdowns per red zone trip. And a big turnaround because of that is, is Kyle Rudolph and his play down there. What's uh, how's Keenum, Keenum handle it? He's uh, by all accounts a, a good guy, but he's, uh, he's he doesn't want to pat himself on the back too extensively, the way from what I can tell. Well, I think Keenum's Keenum right now heading into this one. He's certainly a little nervous. <laughs> he, mm-hmm. he, he called it an excited nervous going into his first playoff start. 
Um, but the ups and downs of, of he, he's been built, I think, for this. He's been crafted for this through his four or five years in the NFL of never being the guy. And when he was told the guy, you know, when Jeff Fisher told him, you were the guy in, in uh, St. Louis and then Los Angeles, uh, they go and draft Jared Goff. And, yeah. and so he's just been used to never being the guy. And, and I think going into this season, uh, that, that wasn't exact expectation. I talked to him and sat down with him before his uh, second start against Tampa Bay back in September. And he was saying, look, I was, you know, I don't read a lot of stuff, but I was reading people thought I wasn't even going to get the backup job here, let alone uh, be starting games and then winning, uh, you know, uh, however many it was, 12 of them for the Vikings this year. I think he's just always carried that, you know, kind of edge with him and just kind of me against the world thing. And maybe that's why it works so well with him and Mike Zimmer. He didn't necessarily need that public endorsement of this is my guy for the rest of the season because uh, don't don't get it twisted. Mike Zimmer never said that. Even even after their first loss, he just said yes, Case Keenum's going to start next week. It was never. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was he's... never a. It was never a yes. We're going to roll with Case Keenum the rest of the way and case has never been the kind of guy who's uh, publicly or from what i've heard privately willed that kind of endorsement hey uh or any chance they'll dress three quarterbacks uh sunday or is bradford sitting oh bradford will be sitting yeah, yeah all expectations are they, yeah yeah all expectations are sam bradford where he's been at right now just practicing getting about maybe a third of the reps during practice they're going to take this out as far as they can. And barring some kind of an injury at quarterback, I don't see how they're going to be pumping him up. He won't, uh, he won't dress. By the way, long piece on ESPN.com right now by Ian O'Connor on, uh, on Keenum. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the most interesting story I saw in there was when they were, in, they were on some family trip and his old man, the coach, they were going down this river. And somebody was boogie boarding. Did you see this behind the uh, the the vessel they had? And there were crocodiles on the shore, and the eleven-year-old Case Keenum said, "I want to do that." So the old man had him, <laughs> the old man had him boogie boarding down a river with uh, crocodiles on the shore. Now that came from the father, Steve, the football coach. So uh, yeah, Steve. I actually talked to Steve back in uh, September, and he didn't tell me that one. But I, <laughs> I heard the story with him and his sisters. They couldn't even pick out a board game to play because his sisters would want to play Candyland. And yeah. Case Keenum would say, no, that's a game of chance. I want a game of skill. <laughs> You're going to beat me at that. And he wouldn't do it. He's too competitive. Well, that's uh, that's something. I'll tell you, I've, I've been saying it all week. I've never seen Breeze better than he was Sunday, though. Man, that was magnificent. Yeah, and I wonder, too, Pat, when you're looking at what the Panthers tried to do, because you're right, Breeze throws for 376 yards, uh, more than any quarterback last weekend. It was such a good game from him, but when you looked at what the Panthers did, they sold out to try and stop those running backs, uh, Kamara and Ingram. And I think if the Vikings do the same thing, I just don't think Breeze is going to have his way, because the Panthers don't have good corners. They don't have a great secondary. They didn't invest money in it. They let a bunch of guys walk. And that, that I think that's why you saw them kind of pay on the back end. But the Vikings are so good covering on the outsides with Rhodes and with Waynes now. I just think they can sell out a little bit better than the Panthers did. But, man, the way Breeze has been kind of just pinpointing these passes at 38 years oh, old, even yeah. down the field, that 80-yard touchdown pass, it wasn't an 80-yard pass, but it was like a 40-yard pass to Ted Ginn that he caught him in stride over the safety. I mean, that's not a kind of throw you see a lot of 38-year-olds make, even Tom Brady at this point. So uh, coming into an indoor environment, I know it's going to be loud, but, man, Breeze has got to love being indoors for this one. I'm sure Zim is uh, uh, trying to convince his boys to put a lick on those receivers because, man, did they make some uh, – they didn't flinch at all. They made some fantastic catches for him, too. They hold the ball when he throws it to them. Yeah, they've got a good group out there. And, actually, that's one of the – that's. 
the best thing that happened to them was trading Adrian Peterson because it oh, yeah. got all these it got all these receivers on the field finally. The Willie Sneeds, the Brandon Coleman's, it got Michael Thomas uh, more of that number one target down the field, and then they really became more of that spread passing attack, and that's that's really why they are who they are now because they they got rid of Adrian Peterson. Well, we've talked about it this week. Uh, go back to the opener, and the big storyline was Adrian Peterson. Uh, that uh, that didn't work out uh, for the Saints, but uh, it certainly uh, it benefited them more than anything. It looks like poor old Adrian's finished too, don't you think? With the bad get a ne- when you get a neck injury uh, at that age as a running back, I don't think that can be good for his long term future. Well, and seeing, too, how long it took him to find a landing spot this yeah. past March or this past spring when he was healthy, uh, or, not, you know, relatively healthy, not not coming off a neck injury anyway. Um, yeah, I would just be hard-pressed to think that the ego of Adrian Peterson will be able to take uh, another, you know, a minimum or a low-level contract again. It'll be interesting to see what he decides to do. What kind of years uh, Daniel Hunter had? Yeah, he's had a, a pretty good year. I think one of the things that he's – kind of had to get over the hump with and this I, I talked to him quite a bit this uh did it limited him early on was he was getting frustrated by the fact that teams were paying a lot of attention to him they were doubling him tripling him he would get frustrated and he would uh admittedly lose his focus in games and he would start not i mean coasting i guess is maybe a strong word for it but he would just kind of lose his focus at times and not be locked in every snap because he'd be sick of getting chipped by the running back by the tight end and when he was a, a, a part-time player last year when he was getting yeah. like 12 and a half sacks uh, none of that was happening. Uh, everyone singled him up, and he beat the guy across from him, and he's enjoying all this success. So there was a learning curve there. And I think you're starting to see him kind of find his stride a little bit more um, because there is that learning curve. Remember when Everson Griffin went through it, went from a part-time player to a full-time player. It just takes a lot of um, you know, kind of mental teaching to kind of get these guys who are so used to winning that, hey, you're going to lose sometimes. And when you lose, you can't just kind of give up that way. And what uh, we always go into these playoff games wondering about the uh, field goal kicker is everyone uh, everyone uh, content with Kai Forbath? Well, it's not all about Kai. That's the thing. They got this long snapper in there that they just brought oh, in. Oh my back guy, there. he'll be fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> December twenty sixth, and so Pat, he's only been here about a couple weeks, and so uh, they, they, you know everything I've heard that whole operation has gone smoothly in practices and went smoothly in the season finale um, with the Bears, but. You still got to wonder that uh, heading into a playoff atmosphere, a guy that you've only had in the building for two weeks, it's going to be, uh, it's going to, you have to keep an eye on just getting the snap back there before you start worrying about Kai. Um, but he was 505 Kai, out of 505 for San Diego State. You got no problems. <laughs> and he camped next to Kodiak Bears. Is that right? <laughs> that's, that's right. No, not <laughs> Grizzlies, not Kodiaks. All right. Oh, All Grizzlies, right. Yep. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Pat. All right, Andrew Kramer, uh, one of the uh, team Star Tribune for the uh, coverage of the uh, of the Vikings, and I can't imagine the uh, input they'll be getting from the editors if this team goes to the Super Bowl. They're gonna, all three of those guys are gonna have to be taking drugs to uh, survive if the Vikings go to the Super Bowl. We'll be back. Manny, what's your daily complaint? Uh, my daily complaint is: uh, Did you guys see this? What what happened with Carl uh, Dunbar? The uh, remember remember him? He was the Vikings defensive line coach yes, for about right. uh, five years or so. Okay. Yes. Well, he's he's now the defensive line coach for Alabama, and apparently, before the national championship game, somebody stole his playbook. What? 
Yeah. Oh, no. He had his playbook stolen before the national championship game. Now, of course, it ended up not mattering because Alabama mm-hmm. still won the game. But, but yeah, they, apparently they somebody— They still print out a playbook? I thought they just put it on a tablet or something. Yeah, I, I guess so. He, he told, so now uh, he's in trouble or what? I, well, I don't know. It said, the story says uh, he told police uh, that he left his backpack containing the playbook in a meeting room at about 1245 in the afternoon. And when he returned— uh, both the backpack and two of his cell phones were gone. Huh. Yeah. Well, hey, there's thieves out there. Carl, well, watch your watch yourself. And didn't I mean? Doesn't Kirby Smart pretty much know the entire playbook? <laughs> well, he, yeah, he pretty much knows that defensive scheme because yeah. Georgia pretty much uses the same, same defensive thing. scheme. Yeah. yeah right, so, how about you, Reavers? Uh, here's my daily complaint: the fact that we're all not going to be together for February second for the. Dress up like a bird and run into the glass at U.S. Bank oh, Stadium man. event. Oh, man, I'm going to be there. I could be there. Well, that's true. You will be back. I should be leading it. I could be the uh, you should what's be the, the largest bird. I don't know. Yeah, I think the security might be a little too. I tight will be for a that. dodo bird. I think that you should be there to be collect. To co- when everybody knocks themselves out silly from running into the glass, you should be there to collect collect everybody that uh, knock, knocks that's themselves right. out. All right, I don't have time for my daily complaint because it would have taken a while. And place, what do I got to complain about? It's about seventy-five degrees down. You know what you can do. All right, (laughs) have a good go.